Well, we say good morning again, and uh, we are actually in Second Corinthians today. But a, a great verse that I can think of that um, haven't hit on lately, but um, I think it puts things into perspective when you deal with uh, repentance. And in Romans chapter two, there's a famous verse there. In verse four, and it talks about the kindness of God. Think about. Don't think lightly of the riches of, of the kindness of God and tolerance and His patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that brings us to that point. Isn't that, isn't that great? He's the one that drives us to that point. Otherwise, we'd always go our wrong way, wouldn't we? But with that thought... And what we want to do is get a real good picture today of repentance as we dealt with this last week. If someone has done you wrong, and after uh, an amount of time, they are sorry. They come up to you and say they're sorry. They'd like to restore the relationship that, that you had. What do you do? Well, you may not be sure at the time whether they are really repentant or not. You say, I'm just not sure about this. I like to think the best of this person, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, they're saying they want a restored relationship, but I know that that's what we need to do. But are they truly repentant? What does repentance look like? How do we know what it really is? What are we to expect when repentance happens? So it's like, how do they practice it? How do they define their repentance in practice. How do we know that repentance is really true and genuine? You get the point, right? That's the question. So we've seen so far in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 7, for the long-expected news that Paul was waiting for, he was waiting, he was waiting, he was, wait, he was really getting intense about it because he had sent a letter and it was uh, pretty brutal. It was a severe letter, he said, and it was going to cause them sorrow. And he too was kind of almost regretting it that he had sent it that way because he thought it would be too much for them to bear, bear in their sorrow, but yet the letter had to be written because of the sin that was in the camp there in Corinth. So he did what was right, but he didn't want to lose his people. We understand that, right? When you had to tell truth, sometimes you wonder, was I a little bit hard there? So Paul regretted that in one sense, but in another sense, he didn't regret it because he knew it was right. He's very anxious. He's disturbed. Matter of fact, he had an opportunity to do some ministry. There were people there just waiting to hear the Gospel and he had to move on because he was so consumed with what was happening at Corinth. But you know what? As he looked for repentance from them, he realizes and he gets the news back as Titus comes to him that there was a godly sorrow. He got exactly what he was hoping for. A godly sorrow that led to repentance. And that is the point of the whole letter that he had sent. A true repentance. And what does it bring Titus? And what does it bring Paul? Comfort and joy. I mean, they rejoiced because the Corinthians did what was right. They not only felt remorse, and that's what we talked about last week, they felt remorse, they had a sorrow, but it was not an earthly, worldly sorrow, but it was a godly sorrow that led to repentance. Repentance then leads to obedience. And they did what was right. So the letter Paul wrote actually accomplished exactly what he set out to do. And it produced a sorrow in the Corinthian believers that led to repentance of their sins. They took it seriously. And they really had a desire to turn from their sin. And that's what repentance is. They wanted to restore their relationship with God and also with Paul. They were really concerned about that. Um, when one re repents, it's, it's about 
to God first and then to the people that they offend. So this is where we left off last week. We just kind of covered a basis, the underlying thought of what's going on, and now we have the continuation of that in uh, part two of, of this particular repentance series. And uh, it uh, will close out a section, section one of, of the Corinthians letter, uh, as far as the second one goes, first seven chapters is one great big section. And then 8 and 9 will be the second section. And then the rest of the letter will be the third section. So we're closing a part out. We'll still be in the same book, but different thoughts will, will go. So the, the, the question is, is how do we know? It seemed like Paul knew what true repentance was. How do we know what true repentance is? As far as ourselves are concerned, are we truly repenting? Or when somebody else has done you wrong and they say they're repenting? What is the indicator of this? How, how does repentance manifest? How is it really seen? How do people see that? Um, Paul was looking for evidence and he found it. John the Baptist who said repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, said that they are to bring forth fruit unto repentance. And that's the idea. There's got to be fruit. And they demonstrated themselves to be holy. There was a visible holiness, even though he didn't even see them. Titus brought back the news of this. You know, you can't see everything that people do. You can't get inside their hearts and see what they really think or who they are. We can't do that. God can. But it's like, how do we see this? How do you sense that that repentance is really there? Right? Well, that's exactly what we're going to look at today. That's what our text is revolving around. The answer is found right here. Simple as, as that may be, it really is brought forth right in this section. I think in the Corinthians now, we have a grand model of what a godly sorrow that produces repentance, that produces obedience, what it really is, what it looks like. And it's clearly visible, very well seen. So the picture is put forth to us. And what we're going to do today is let God speak to us. I'm going to put a few comments forth, but it's this is God's Word and He has things for us that you wouldn't hear anywhere else but people who are revolved around the Word of God. And that's where we get truth, isn't it? So let's, uh, let's stand. Take our Bibles. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's what we do every week, isn't it? We turn to our Bibles. And let's go for it, right? We're going to start at verse 11. For behold... Did you get that? <laughs> Behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What longing. What zeal. What avenging of wrong. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for this time of worship that we've already experienced this morning. 
Now may it be real and true as we seek out what you are saying about this particular subject. And may it apply to our lives as we forgive others and as we ask for forgiveness, as we repent of our sins to you and to ones we offended. In Jesus' name, amen. Start off in verse 11. We see a long list of attitudes. It's like 7, 8 there in verse 11. It demonstrates the godly sorrow that we have just talked about last week. This one verse, this one verse, and there's many verses here today that we're going to try to cover. This one verse may be the best verse in all of the Bible about what true repentance really looks like. If somebody wants to know what is repentance, you can turn right to this verse right here and say this is what it looks like. That's what you're wondering, what true repentance really is. Here it is. And so we can evaluate repentance by looking at this. And there are other verses that go along with it. And you, have you noticed on your outline there? Um, of course, right on the screen, we just have three there and it looks pretty good. Uh, but if you've looked at the bulletin, you know there are more pages to this as uh, Zach will continue on with it uh, as we go on later on. But the three doesn't look so bad. But you start looking at 12 points and you go, Dennis, you're breaking all the rules. Seminary will, will never teach you to have 12 points in a message. Would that be right, Luke? Would, would, would we say That's that? Right. So don't ever do that. If you, ha- if you have a message to give somebody, don't ever give them 12 points. Matter of fact, they'll be getting ready to, to pick up and leave. See, we already have one right there. <laughs> Sorry, Cindy. But one's coming in. So, hey, he heard about that. He says, hey, I can't wait to hear this. But never fear. Don't fear. We will try to have lunch by noon. He says in 11, For behold. We have to stop there. For behold, he has just pointed out the sorrow that's according to the will of God, sorrow that produces repentance without regret, right? And he says, Behold. It's even better than therefore. Because he says, Check this out. He's like, Wow, look at this. I mean, Paul was exhilarated. It's an excitement word. Do you get what I mean? Have you ever seen something and you can't wait? to show somebody or you heard something, you heard a music and he said, man, you've got to hear this. you know. So, that's what he's saying here. There's a reason why that word behold is there. Jesus used it quite frequently. And that is the idea. He wants His readers to listen or His hearers. And He wants His readers to to check this out, to experience this. Get the excitement, get the exhilaration here. Get excited about worshiping God as we peer into what He has to say this morning to us. God's speaking to us. He's here. He's right here. If I didn't have the Bible up here and I was speaking, I'd say, well, here's what God told me. How would you know whether I was right or wrong? you got to check me out. But you can test me by this, right? This is why this has to be my focus, not my little picture story that I might have. But behold, let's take note of this, he's saying. This repentance, it's real. It is visible. Paul saw it even though he didn't see them. And then he uses a word to amplify. I mean, Paul gets excited. For behold, what? Now, you usually wouldn't expound upon that word, what? But in 1 John, there's a passage that says, for, be, for behold, what manner of love is this? Do you catch that? Check this out. What kind of love is this? This is foreign. This goes outside the realm of this world. I mean, behold. Check it out. Look at this. So John was excited. Yeah, he'd been with the Lord three years ministering with Him, right? And then he goes on to say in that next section, or the next few verses, 
that we are going to see Him as He is. Wouldn't you behold that? And then He says this on top of that. You are going to be, you're going to see Him as He is and you're going to be like Him. Now, that's a beholding, isn't it? And so, and He used the word what? Behold, what manner of love is this? What foreign kind of thing is this? Here He says, behold, what earnestness. And He just doesn't use it with that word. Have you noticed with the other words, He uses the same what? He's excited. He wants us to really look at this. Don't just glance at this. Look at it. Look at it. Word is it's intensifying on a really high level. That's the idea here in this Greek tense and the way it's set up. The word is spude. It means to... To be eager, to be eager towards righteousness, it is to be earnest about something. To be eager. I mean, we get the idea and we can move on. We'll hang here for just a moment. It's having a strong desire to do something. It's in a positive way, a positive, strong way. They were no longer complacent as they had been. They weren't defending Paul when they should have been defending him. When there were lies spoken about him and they knew it, they didn't say anything. And now all of a sudden, they've become earnest, not complacent. They had the passion. I like to use that word there. Desire, passion, earnestness. Has this passion to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness. Matter of fact, the capstone phrase is found at the end of this verse in 11. He says, And everything, Paul says, you demonstrated yourselves to be what? Innocent. And we'll get to that word in a moment. But everything is all wrapped up in that. It's dealing with holy. The holiness there that's involved. So they earnest in this. To know for sure, you know, they are. They've been pursuing this. They're passionate about it. And then, so when you see somebody that is having a genuine repentance, one of the things they have is that their earnestness. They have a passion about now what they are about. What kind of eagerness is this, right? So, um, spude refers to a zealous pursuit of something. In this case, righteousness, holiness, earnestness, right? Next word. What vindication of yourselves. Vindication. A word there I think uh, most of us are probably quite familiar with. We speak about it much. Apologia is the word. Or our English word is apology. There's a, 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 an apology made here. And in one sense, I think in the text, that, that could sure be that there was uh, the vindication on the part. But uh, it means even much more. Really, uh, apologia is a speech in defending. Think of defending the truth. How about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an apologia, a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to give that defense of the truth, the apologia. You've heard of the word apologetics? That's, of course, that's how that gets out of there and of course some of you are thinking oh yeah that's that music Christian music group <laughs> apologetics uh, th- that's that's the verse that they really got that out of um, but it, there's a defense there that, that's involved a speech and defense or to get even more clear now let's get it into our text here as far as they're concerned it, it's dealing with to clear the name to clear their name to clear themselves apologia that's the idea here for them there's a reasoned statement in defending something or someone. Paul is convinced that they have had a strong desire. They are earnest. 
and they are clearing their name. They have made it clear that they have turned it around. There we go. They're making it clear. There's where the apologia comes in. Now their defense is is what happened to their way of thinking and their own holiness and pursuing righteousness, right? So you can see how earnestness and vindication come together. All these words help each other. They help amplify it. And by the way, again, it had that word, what vindication? And again, the next one, what indignation that they had. You think of indignation, you think of what? You think of being angry. Think of being mad. Indignant, right? Indignation. The word is agonitasis. And it means a vexation. You're vexed deeply. You're profoundly displeased with something. You're angered. Really, I like to use it in two kind of words. Righteous indignation. Or righteous anger. Is there such a thing? That sounds kind of like going against itself. And anger, that is righteous. I thought we were never to be angry. Well, be angry and do not sin. Now, how do you do that? Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Be angry at things that offend God. Be angry. Be vexed. Be vexed at false teachers. False teaching. That was what was coming into Corinth, right? Paul says that they were angry. Another thing, they could have been very angry not only of those teachers, but themselves. Their sin. Have you ever been angry at your sin? Have you ever been angry at yourself because you did something and you knew that you should not have done that or there's something you should have done and you didn't do it? Have you ever been angry over that? Well, it's a good sign that you are repenting. If you're not angry, just take it lightly and there's no anger, that there's no shame. And it is angered the Corinthians have gotten the anger because they hated their iniquity, they hated their sin, they hated what they did to the Apostle Paul, and even more so what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were angry at that. They hated the fact that they didn't come to Paul's protection when they had that opportunity to defend the Gospel. They had fallen, fallen victim to deceit, lies. And they went that way. And they hated the fact that they had done those things against Paul. They identified this very clearly and they're outraged over their sin. Literally, that's what it means. I am outraged. I didn't say that with enough force. I want you to get it, right? might lose my voice if I try that. It's an indication of real repentance when one is mad at their sins. Feel their repentance, the, the whole brokenness. The whole idea of that as we looked in before in the last week or two, Psalm 51. Brokenness is involved there. And that's the hatred of sins. Next word is... Uh, <clears throat> What fear? Fear. Guess what the word is for that? Phobos. Phobon. Phobia. Fear. There is a unhealthy fear. Then there's the reverential kind of fear. This deals with reverence towards God. The awe towards God. Offending His holiness. They fear there's a fear that should be in us in a sense that um, my God could really discipline me on this. That's a pretty healthy fear knowing that yes, He is a God who judges. Not that we're saying that He's going to take your salvation away, but they were standing in dread of the holy aspect of who God is. How about Paul? Paul's going to show up there. 
They were afraid of what Paul might do. And of course, he was kind of angry in his letter, wasn't he? I guess when he goes back, it's going to be a little different than what it could have been. I don't think they ever really guessed how deeply he'd have been affected by this whole ordeal. It really affected Paul, didn't it? In every way. So they, they have this longing to reverence, to fear God, to exalt God, to worship Him. And we all should have that whether we have, you know, have some kind of sin sticking out or not. Thing is, we always should be fearing God. They are God-fearers. In that sense, it's healthy. Because we, it, this morning as we worship Him, if we have true worship based upon the Word of God, we are showing our awe, our reverence, or our fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Next one is longing. What longing? What longing? It's a yearning. Real yearning. Eager. To have a yearning, eager desire. That's the idea. Have you ever had a yearning? A longing? Epipathesis. A yearning for and, a, and having the, a great desire for something. Desire can mean good. It can be bad. You can desire bad things. But you can desire good things. Desire, in this sense, in this whole thought, it's a true longing. It's good. It's a good sense. And they yearned to make this relationship right. They longed for it. It was really there. Paul senses this as Titus told him. So they reach out to Paul. They long to see him and to assure him that they now support him. So, a longing... Let's go to the sixth one. What zeal? Word is zealous. We get our word zeal. Have you noticed the reason I'm putting a lot of words out here like that? You're learning some Greek words that really are English words, basically taken from the root. It's kind of fun study language such as Greek because you can say, oh. I already know half of these words in this section right here. Get some Greek today. I think of uh, zeal and zealous. I think of the zealots. So right over here, I thought about it all all week. I said, "Oh, I can't wait to get to this word here." <laughs> Miklos and Nandor, and they're writing of their songs and performing, and um, you know, it's it's neat to be able to have some uh, zealousness in in writing. And we have writers in, in this, this little church. Writing of songs, writing of books, writing of, of um, other kind of material. I, I, I'll use the wrong word there, but you know the, the music. And man, you, you put all that together and say, wow, God is really blessed in that sense. And all of you, you know, love to write letters or write emails anymore or say something on Facebook, right? Um... We have this zeal to do that. Zealots really was kind of almost a negative term in the uh, the Gospels because they were willing to kill people. So in that sense, those zealots... You, you want to be zealot for the true Christian life, but those particular ones were, were taking... Um, the, it was one of the sects, S-E-C-T-S, of Judaism. And of course, uh, the Roman government was uh, t- had taken over. Really, the Jews didn't have much to say at all. And there's always a group of people saying, "Hey, we don't have to take this." And of course, they would do their terrorism and get them one by one, pick off people. And that was those those zealots. But there also is the Christian zealot. That's what you guys are. Taking the word back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> to hate anything that hurts something that you love. Anything that hurts that. To, you love God. It starts with that, right? 
You love God so greatly, you would hate anything that would dishonor His name. You love your church so much that if something came up against it, this local church, the whole body of Christ, the church, you love it. You love the church. The church are the people. And if anything comes against the church, you hate what that is. I'm not necessarily saying hating the people in themselves, but to hate what comes up against that. The Word of God. Anything comes up against the Word of God. You hate that, don't you? When people, whatever is done out in the world, and it's against your godly biblical principles, you hate it with a passion. And you respond to it. When you love your husband or wife in life so much, you would hate anything that would come along to harm that. You would be zealous for your spouse. How about your children? You love your children so much that anything that would come up against them, you would want to defend them. You you would not like somebody from the outside, some kind of thing trying to destroy them. That's zeal. They had this zeal. And um, we can see that they hated their sin. They hated what came up against it. What kind of zeal? here? Well, the offending party, for one thing, there was a, um, a thing that they had to take care of there at, the, at the, the church in Corinth. Paul told them about it and they didn't do it. And so this is where he wrote a, another letter. And they finally disciplined the offended party. They took on zealousness because it offended God so much. The, de- the detractors, like the false teachers again, what they were bringing forth. There's a zeal for holiness, isn't there? And that's the idea of having uh, a zealous attitude. I think they had an enthusiasm about carrying out the instructions that He had given them. They were zealous for the instructions. So all of those things, false teaching, the the offending party and all of that, uh, they had apathy. And now they took an about face. And there again, that's your repentance, isn't it? They're eager to demonstrate their support by being zealous. Next one. What avenging of wrong. He has an exclamation point right there. He's now done seven of these. Avenging of wrong. It's dealing with uh, justice. It has that word decay. Decay. Ek decason. It's a wrong that is righted. It is to see justice done. That's probably the best way to see that. It's a good word too, isn't it? That's right. Good name. Justice. There are, there's meanings behind those names, aren't there? They wanted justice to take place. You know what they did? They did discipline. Because there was some injustice there. There were things that were not right. This language here is a judicial term. He uses a court term means to revenge or to punish. In this case, uh, the justice was done. The wrong had been righted. There was a discipline they had to do with this. And then Paul later tells them that, okay, enough is enough. Stop. Be merciful now. Show, Show grace. You only do what it's meant to do, and that's to lead them to repentance and then bring them back in, right? Have justice done. So there was a formal disciplinary action that the Corinthians did. And so when Paul heard that, he sees all these. So there we have the seven. And of course, like I said, we have we have twelve. And the next one I was I have just kind of introduced, it kind of is the whole package, because he says, In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. In all these things, you were innocent. You were pure. The word is hadnos. Pure, holy, it's dealing with purity, chaste, to be that way. Um, so legal blamelessness. Go to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 2. 
here is dealing, he's speaking husband and wife, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. There is the bride. There's the husband. The bride is us. It's the church. Christ is the husband. And we're to be presented as a pure virgin. As pure. There's that word hagnos. We are to have a holiness about us. A purity. That's what the Word of God is doing to us. It's making us more and more holy. To be set apart. That's why we're called saints. Hagnos. Hagias. Saints. To be set apart. That's what God is doing to us. So they were... There's an innocence about them again. That's an indicator of true repentance. So in verse 11, we've seen these first seven here, and then eight, what repentance is made of. Just that one verse. It is loaded. It is packed. Somebody wants to know what repentance looks like. Here it is. It's being earnest. It's clearing your name. Having anger over sin. Having a fear towards God and His holiness longing to be restored, having a zeal for holiness, and desiring justice. And this is repentance. This is pure and holy. When you have those terms, when you have those attitudes in your life, it is an indicator. It's always an indicator of true repentance. Now we move on to more verses. We move to number 9. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So, although I wrote to you, remember that letter? It was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. This reason we've been comforted. Let's do verse 12 there. Um, this is a, it's a tough verse. You start reading through it, you go, wait, what? It might be very clear. It might stick out at you. It didn't to me. And I understand many commentators say the same thing. And I go, oh, okay. That's good to know. The only thing that's not good to know is they didn't mention anything else and moved on. <laughs> but there are other ones who you can count on and they're going to take everything as a challenge and they're going to turn the rocks over and they're going to find out what's there. So that's the commentators I like to read. So here we go. It's dealing with a loyalty. They wanted to restore a relationship. They wanted to show that they were loyal. You want loyalty from people. Don't you? Whether you're a leader or a friend or in a family, whatever it is, you want the person that you have a relationship with to be loyal, to be faithful. Somebody you can count on. They weren't a church that Paul could depend on for a while there. And he's saying, it wasn't, I'm not even writing for the sake of the offender, although it, that's part of it. And I'm not even writing about the one who was offended. That's Paul. It's not what I wrote to you about. Here's what I wrote to you about that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. It's a curious verse. So Dennis, what is it? Well, Paul's using a Hebrew way here of speaking to make his point really strong. He could have said, my purpose was that you might know your own earnestness. He doesn't say it that way. I'm not saying it doesn't mean that way, but he doesn't say it that way. He say, Paul, why didn't you say it that way? My purpose was that you might know your own earnestness. Which is really what we're getting to. But he's creating this effect. I think it's very dramatic. 
but saying what it wasn't. And that leads us right up to the ladder to this main point here. I wrote this letter. It's my concern here that um, it gets to me. I have a major concern about the man. Yes, I have a major concern about myself. But the main issue is you. I am really focusing on you. Your eagerness for me. Your loyalty for me. Your love for me. Your confidence in me. I want you to know that you really have that. For a time. None of that seemed to be true at all. But what was really there in their hearts? They knew Paul. That it might be made known to you. They had been deceived. Wrong thinking came in. They didn't see their deceit for a while and all of a sudden they were made to see how they'd been deceived. They experienced it. Have you ever been there? you ever been deceived? you ever been lied to and all of a sudden you just go for that? As you find out, hmm, I was wrong. Yeah, I was set up. They saw Him as the trusted servant of God. But doubts had come in and now all of a sudden they didn't even know if he was a real apostle. They didn't know if he was really a servant of God. But down deep, they know that. He wants them to see that. That's why I wrote to you about this. This is what this is about. Yeah, it's bringing to repentance. They need to see that what Paul was to them, he really is. And... He's like saying, you know me. I came preaching the Gospel to you. In fear and trembling, I gave you the Word of God. I gave you the Gospel. You came to Christ because of the message I gave to you. And by the way, I stayed with you for quite some time and taught you, discipled you, sanctified you in the the way that the Word of God and the Spirit of God does. Paul gave him the standards, the very patterns of the way that life was supposed to be, how to live the Christian life. Remember the first letter, 1 Corinthians, I mean? Remember how he explained to them, okay, no, that, that's a pagan way that you used to do? Uh-uh. No. No, no, no. We, we don't have divisions and factions as he starts in chapter 1. And then they were taking each other at court. Uh, the sexual things that was happening there. and Of course, the idolatry that was somewhere involved with still yet. I mean, it goes on and on. Just just keep looking at 1 Corinthians and you'll see problems all the way through. I would say that they were the worst church. By the end, we're going to see the worst church come the best church. Best in the sense that they repented. It's about them. He says, uh, I know down deep I know your present attitude. I know really how you really feel. You know what? I think this can happen in um, a relationship as far as husband and wife is concerned. One can start getting a wrong view and maybe have sin in their life. They haven't been into the Word of God. Something has happened. All of a sudden, they start believing something about somebody, their their wife or husband, and they just go crazy, just haywire, right? The life becomes so cluttered with sin, deception. How about children? Children can get involved in being so messed up. Their life is cluttered up. It's it's a mess. They start losing touch with what they have always been raised up with and what they're about. I know what's really in your heart, Paul said. How about the church? Where people can get messed up in the church and be deceived. The deception can be there. And they really forget about the truth of the Gospel. Get wrapped up in something else. Happens in a friendship. Happens in a broken relationship because of sin and deception. Start believing about things that aren't and they have a fake, false feeling rather than a true feeling. The true feelings are good, but feelings are based upon fact. But our emotions will not 
go to that. It'll go to something in the past, years ago, and start driving off of something that doesn't even pertain to this. And we can start thinking the worst of people. So do you see what kind of happened to them? And all of a sudden they have loyalty towards Paul. Loyalty. Are you faithful in your marriage? Are you faithful to your in your family? Are you faithful in the church? Faithful in friendship? Number ten. It's found in verse thirteen. For this reason, we have been comforted, because he said, "I know what's what you really." feel if you'll get past that deceptive feelings and really look what I know where you're at this is what this about you are really earnest you have an earnest and I want you to realize that and that's why he says in that phrase on our behalf that your earnestness on our behalf for us might be made known to you I want you to realize that you really are earnest for me. Now, do you see what... Does that phrase make sense? And you might have got it the first time and say, why did you take ten minutes, Dennis, to explain that? Then I go, I salute you. Because I didn't get it that way the first time. And I think that's really what he is saying. Otherwise, I wouldn't have told you. Now, and besides our comfort... When he says we, he's talking about him and Titus. Titus is the one that brought the news to him. Besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. There we go with our southern accent again. Paul's southern in this chapter. He's done this. And he'll do it again. Y'all ready? When there's a response to the problem, joy is restored. He, they, they actually responded to what Paul's letter was about, and it was in a great way. He gets the news, man, he was rejoicing, just like that. Titus comes up there smiling. Can you get it right there, man? You're not going to believe what happened. And he's what, what? He's heard it, what? And then we looked at those seven watts, didn't we? Philippians two two. Ah, you got to like this. This is called the letter joy. Philippians 2.2 Make my joy complete. This is Paul. Writing to the Philippians, who really don't have a lot of problems at their church at this time. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You like that? That is unity. United together. The joy, the comfort that comes together. Man, when the body of Christ comes together, I see your faces when you come in the door. You can't wait to worship. You got smiling faces and hey, how are you doing? We're here for a reason. You know, it's not one of those things. Oh, I gotta go to church today. You know, you're here because you want to be here. Joy is amongst us. If we're guilty of one thing, it ought to be the joy that we carry out of here. Ah, oh, those people are too joyful. Great. That's what we want them. To see. That's what we want them to see. Jesus freaks. Titus was so filled with joy. Titus had seen the loyalty. Loyalty in the church means so much to me. Are you loyal? Repentance in the church. Purity in the church is so important. These are obedience. Titus was refreshed, it says here. Ah, oh, I like that word. Can, do you get a word picture there of hot day and then an ice cold picture where it's, it's sweating on the outside. It's got ice in it and everything and you are just really thirsty and you get refreshed. Mm. And then you take some Gatorade. Ah, oh, I feel refreshed. Titus was refreshed. 
It literally means to give rest, to have relief. There's been a truce made. Next one. Obedience. Verse 14 and 15. For if in anything I have boasted to Him about you, and I was not put to shame, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affliction abounds all the more toward you as He remembers the obedience of you all. How you received Him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. The boasting of others in the church. I love this. I was thinking about doing a whole message on boasting rather than repentance. We need to brag about the church. You know what? I brag about Grace Community Church. I brag about the whole body of Christ, but I brag about this church. I brag about individuals in here to other people. I, I, I don't have. To, I, I don't need to be bragging about myself. There's no no room for that. No need for that. But I can sure brag about you guys, and I do. I do. I do before the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you for this gift, that gift, what He does, what she does, and this kind of thing. We ought to be very proud of our people in here, and and that's a. That's a good pride because of what God's Spirit is doing in us. That's why. Not in and of ourselves. But what He's doing in us. I get excited about that to see lives changing. Uh, Man, I've had the opportunity of sharing the Word of God for over 30 years in this kind of manner that we're doing. And to see what God puts together and to see that over the course of years, not just months, a couple years, but when you get to see somebody from a decade, decades, and you see that these people are really real, and you see what they do, and nobody knows anything, what, what they may do, and say, well, that person, that, now they're here, and say hi to them. And I, I don't really know, you know how their relationship is with the Lord, though. We'll get to know them. Get to know, don't say, well, you all. Because you, know, you are it. Right? What we're saying here is that people do things. can't see their heart, but I can tell you what, when you get to know them, they have ministries that are incredible that God is doing that it's on the outside of here that they're doing. They have certain people they deal with, certain different things that they're doing. It might be at their work. It might be with uh, their neighbors, their, people, their prayer ministry. Um, they might be, you know, might be teaching in an official manner. They're doing music, uh, doing, um, be, taking care of the money here at the church. <laughs> Debbie there, putting a lot of time. Uh, putting uh, these slides up here so that I was overwhelmed. I got, I got to look at this on Saturday and to go through that, and I just got excited for worship because I saw the, the enhancement with with those pictures that's behind there. You know, these are things I'm bragging about. Okay, I could go each and every one of you, and I could brag for a long time on each. I, I'm not saying that to make you feel good. I'm saying that is what we're supposed to do, because and and realize that it's all for the glory of God. We're not lifting these people up. We're lifting God up by what He's doing. That's, that's what qualifies. And so Titus went to Corinth and he, he tells Paul this. He's bragging about it. And Paul says, yeah, do you remember I told you about that? I told you that when you'd come back you'd be bringing good news. But you remember Paul was still kind of wondering. But he knew. He knew. If they're real Christians, they're going to repent. He knew it. Why? Because God's going to work a work in them. Why? Because He's sovereign. Why? Because it's the church, it's His people, He's going to do it. Does that mean that we we don't ever rebel? Well, yeah, we do. Sometimes we kick against Him. It can be a time. Which I think it happened here. But He staked His reputation on it to Titus. Titus comes back going, Paul, you were right. <laughs> Titus might have been thinking, Man, I don't know, Paul. I don't know, I'll go. I don't know what, what's going to happen. Well, he says obedience here. Mm. 
His affection, uh, Titus, abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you. How they obeyed in this matter, of course, other things, this matter of repentance. I just want to be obedient. If you hear somebody say that, you can say, well, what about all those other words? I, I can't remember them all. Except, well, are, are they obedient? Do they want to be obedient? Did, did you hear that? From, I, just, I want to be obedient to God. Man, when you hear that, you go, oh, man. That's so good to hear. I don't care what you think of me. If you're obedient to God, you're going to have the right thoughts to me whether you want to or not. If you're obedient to Him. Fear and trembling. That's interesting. That comes up. How you received Him with fear and trembling. You know, it's not like they're coming up there just shaking. and everything. But Paul went into Corinth in chapter 1 and chapter 2 with fear and trembling. That means we take the Word of God seriously. We are in reverence. This is His. We are handling His Word. It's not my Word. I'm handling His Word today. And I saw that phrase and I said, oh yeah, I need to go back to that prayer. Lord, um, make me fear and tremble that this is Your Word and that I would not treat it lightly and that I would say something that would be derogatory to this Word or that would not... Uh, coincide with what is meant here, and I, you know, you want to take it serious. And so, when they ran into Titus, they were serious about it. Fear and trembling, they received him that. that they didn't know what was going to happen, but believe me, they they were right. It's the attitude behind obedience. It's one of reverence towards God and and a healthy fear of judgment. I have a lot of verses I could go to there. I wish I could. I want to have to close it out. The twelfth one here is, I, I rejoice. Paul says, rejoice again. That's because he's already said, or will say, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. <laughs> I have confidence in you. This is to the Corinthians. Confidence, that oh, it means to dare. To be bold. Paul saying, I trust you. This is the Corinthian church. Paul, don't you remember the first letter you wrote? Do you remember that severe letter? Paul, what are you saying? I have confidence. I trust you. Corinthian church. Can a pastor say to someone who has done everything to destroy the church, eventually say when somebody is repentant, I have confidence in you now. That's right. I trust in you. That's right. Wow. Can you say to a friend who has cut you at the heart and they've become repentant now? I trust you. I place my life in your hands. I'm so courageously confident. This is dealing with courage. This word of confidence. This Greek term means confidence. In the sport that they have, he says, I'm going to go to I'm going to battle with you. I trust you as you are on my side fighting the enemy. I trust you with my life. That's the boldness that this is meant. He says, You'll defend me. I know you will. It's like, you've got my back. You'll protect me. I'll trust you. You trust me. I have the courage to put my life on the line. To put it in your hands. That is the word when he finishes this section up and this chapter up. I have confidence in you. It's not just saying, hey, I'm pretty confident. I think this is going to... No. Do you see what he's saying? In the Greek, and the with the color, with everything that is there, this word picture is, is awesome. And he's saying, everything. I trust everything. I have that kind of confidence. Man, when you say that to people that you love, people you're having difficulty with, say, I'm confident in you. He says that all through here. People really take note of that. That is a good, encouraging phrase. Good sense. I have confidence in you. And not just saying it lightly. We're saying, you know, when we're convinced of that. In some ways, when you see what happened here with these Corinthians, you'd have to conclude that the worst church has become the best church. First, last, and the last first. How can you miss, right? It's amazing. It's amazing from where they came from. It's a great and dramatic illustration. It's a theatric that Paul has put forth here 
This is the power of restoration, folks. It's a beautiful thing. And when we were restored to God the very first time, of course, He's always working in us. But when He saves us, we were restored to the way we were to be. Well, that concludes the very first section, chapters 1 through 7 of 2 Corinthians. We've been here for quite some time. We still have a long way to go in 2 Corinthians. But do you see what Paul was trying to do? And as he concluded that, was that powerful or what? Let's pray. Father, thank You again for Your Word, Your truth. Make it apply to our lives today by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.